One of the things that I always share with people is that today, that which you're doing today, the choices, the decisions you're making today, are the pre of the predestined of where you're going to be tomorrow, next month, next year. So right now, we are actually quite literally creating our destiny, our future, and also that for our children, our grandchildren, and all of those who will live on this sacred and beautiful planet. There's a beautiful story that I love about three men who are stranded on a boat in the middle of the ocean. And naturally they're stressed. And when we get under stress, we start to fight. It happens to people. So these three men start fighting on the boat. And in order to bring a little bit of peace to the boat, they decide, Cello, let us divide the boat into three parts so that each man will have his own part Nobody will encroach on anybody else's part, and at least come say come, shanti say, rehenge, even though we are stranded in the ocean. Now, obviously, they didn't get stranded on a boat having duct tape in their hands, so they just drew these imaginary lines down the boat. And that worked until one day when two of the men notice that there's a leak in the third man's part of the boat and water is coming into the boat. And the two men yell at the third man, stop up the leak. This boat's going to sink, we're all going to drown. And the third man says, oh, what are you worried about? It's only leaking in my part of the boat. And I love that story joke because we all understand intuitively that a leak in any part of a boat is going to bring the entire thing down. There's no such thing as my part of a boat. Once there's water in the boat, the entire boat is going down. And yet, we do the same things in our lives. We create these, these imaginary, artificial sort of boundaries and borders between us and others. Us and those who are under great threat. Us and those who are the ones most likely to be immediately impacted, whether it's by lack of water, whether it's by lack of food, whether it's by rising ocean levels, whether it's by general poverty or lack of human rights. Whatever it may be, those of us privileged to live with abundance, tend to see ourselves as safely separate from those under threat. But the boat story reminds us there's actually only one boat. We may have drawn invisible and imaginary lines on the basis of country or continent or socioeconomic status, but there's only one boat and we're all in that boat. And when it sinks, we're all going to drown. And so that's really where we are in many ways today with what's happening with climate change and especially with what's happening to water. And COVID, this pandemic, has made it so clear to us that we are not separate. That which 
you know, some people were eating at a meat market in central China has rippled out and wreaked havoc in every single corner of the world, every home, every school, every office building. Not a home has been left untouched by the dietary habits of some people in central China. So it's really shown us there is no place that any of us end and the other one begins. We're all in this together. We had thought pre-COVID, we had thought that our greatest security was going to come through guns and missiles. If we just could accumulate enough guns, enough missiles, enough bombs, we would be secure. And then of course COVID came and we realized that much more than guns and missiles and bombs, we needed gloves and masks. And we realize as we look at the pandemic and as we look at climate change, that ultimately there is no security without sustainability. Because I could have all the guns, all the missiles, all the bombs, but if I don't have water to drink, if there isn't clean air to breathe, who am I going to bomb? So our security, the definition of our security now, really needs to change into being one of sustainability. And the definition of peace needs to expand into not only refraining from killing each other with guns and missiles and bombs, but actually to ensuring that all people of all races, all religions, all colors, all cultures have access to safe and clean water because water we know it's our life. It is us. It is our life from the nine months that we spend in the womb of our mother to that which satiates our parched throats or irrigates our land to that which makes up our body to that which flows beneath us in the groundwater into our rivers. Water is life. And where our rivers end and our lives begin, it's impossible to tell. So as we are at this state today, we realize how dire, how dire the situation is. We cannot live without water and yet Statistics are telling us, the United Nations predicts, that by 2040, we will only have half the drinking water that we need. India is on par to be there by 2030. That's basically tomorrow. Half the drinking water that we need. And of course, without water, nothing can happen. We're already at a point where almost a billion people, just under a billion people already, don't have access to safe and sufficient water. About 500,000 children, 5 lakh children, are dying every year simply due to lack of clean water. So we're now in this critical, critical situation where not only is it the water, but it's everything that the water does for us all of the food that we need, 
The International Food Policy Research Institute did a study showing that almost 5 billion people, more than half of the world's population, and half of the global grain production will be at very, very severe risk due to lack of water in just a couple decades. So what do we do? Number one, yes, on a global level, on a national level, we insist, absolutely insist, that our governments take the steps to protect and to preserve our water, to lower our carbon emissions, to ensure that we are moving in the right direction with regard to sustainable energy, renewable energy. And yes, we insist that from the governments to the courts to the police, that laws are made and laws are enforced without corruption about everything ranging from water usage to pollution whether it's that which is spewing into our air or into our soil and into our groundwater, we insist and we vote for those leaders who we know are moving in the right direction sustainably. In India, we're very blessed these days to have leadership from the highest level of our prime minister moving down into the states of government officials, government leaders who are committed under our Honorable Prime Minister's vision and leadership to really bringing about renewable and sustainable sources of energy, to protecting our water, to abating climate change to whatever extent we can. And that's great. And we should be very glad for that but it's not enough. We need to go beyond just what we are demanding of our governments, what we're demanding of our courts or demanding of the police, into what are we demanding of our own communities and our own selves. Well, on community levels, it's critical that we promote large-scale water conservation, whether it's through groundwater recharging initiatives, rainwater harvesting, tree plantations, so many different programs that as communities we need to come together on the ground level to do whatever we can. If every community came together to harvest their groundwater, to recharge their groundwater, to be planting trees, it would make a huge difference. On a community level we also need to make sure that we remove these taboos that tend to be very prominent in India around reusing wastewater. Treated wastewater should very easily and everywhere be used in so many ways, so many places. Okay, we're not going to drink it. We're not going to bathe in it. But it can be used in our gardens. It can be used for irrigation. It can be used so many places. But there's definitely a little taboo around wastewater. And that's something that as communities we need to come together and realize that the time is there. You know, 
10 years ago, nobody was talking about open defecation. Nobody was talking about toilets. And then Modiji came and brought in the Swatch Bot at Abiyan and suddenly everybody was talking defecation and toilets. Brooms. We need to do the same thing around wastewater. We need to remove taboos about things that are generally not talked about or not used and suddenly make it, make it the new normal. But also on an individual level, and this is where it's most critical because we've got the greatest power to bring about change in our own lives. And there's so many ways that we can. Agriculture is one of the greatest contributors to lack of water, to water wastage, as well as to climate change. 70%, 70% of the world's fresh water is used for agriculture. So that's almost all of it. So we need to look at what type of agriculture are we doing if we're only gonna have 50% of the fresh water that we need very soon, how are we gonna do agriculture? Well, the single greatest and most important piece of agriculture to change is ending animal agriculture, ending the meat industry. Thankfully here in India, most of us are vegetarians, but across the world, animal agriculture is one of the greatest contributors to climate change. It contributes twice as much to our gases and emissions and climate change as plant agriculture, twice as much. Studies have been shown that by 2050, if we started now and we made significant dietary changes, by 2050, we could free up several million square kilometers, millions of square kilometers. Imagine how much food we could grow for people several million square kilometers of land, and we could reduce global carbon emissions by up to eight billion tons a year. Eight billion tons a year, just by changing our diet to a plant-based diet. In just the United States, the livestock, the cows, the pigs, the chickens, who are gonna become the hamburgers and the hot dogs and the chicken McNuggets, they actually produce 10 times more defecation than the entire population of the United States. And we know that methane gas is one of the greatest causes of climate change, of global warming. And 10 times that which people are producing, the livestock's producing. Animal agriculture puts 32 billion tons a year. I'm gonna repeat that. 32 billion tons a year of carbon dioxide into the air, which is 51% of all global greenhouse emissions. And that's critical to realize because what that does is it makes animal agriculture the single greatest contributor to the greenhouse gases. Single greatest contributor, 51% of carbon emissions into the air are coming from animal agriculture. 
Now, you think about water. Here we are today talking about water. Well, about 92%, which is kind of close to 100%, of the fresh water, the drinking water that we have on Earth, is used in farming. And a third of that, a third of that, is used for rearing livestock. Now, what that means is that almost 30% of the fresh water that we have, call it no, 26, 27% of the fresh water that we have on planet Earth is used for animal agriculture. That's crazy. If we stopped with the meat industry, if we stopped with animal agriculture, look at how much water we could free up. And just to put that on a an individual basis. If you go out with just a couple friends for a meal of hamburgers, the amount of water that is used in the production of that one pound of beef, one pound of beef, so a couple of friends have hamburgers, one pound of beef, that's almost 10,000 liters of water, one pound of beef. Now, again, to put that into individual understanding, that's approximately the same amount of water that you use in bathing every day for six months. Now, what that means is if you care about water and you want to keep eating hamburgers, you would have to not bathe for six months every time you went out for a meal of hamburgers with your friends. Chicken is about one-third of that. So for chicken, you'd have to not bathe for two months after going out for a meal of Chicken McNuggets. So the question is, are we prepared to make such a simple change in our diet in order to free up all of that water? And these, these are the choices that are offered to us, that are possible for us. And it's so simple. It's certainly a lot easier than not traveling. It's certainly a lot easier than not driving anywhere. It's certainly a lot easier than never getting on an airplane, not having an air conditioner, not using your computer, not using electricity. And the impact is so many times more. And obviously, the meat industry also is a massive contributor to world hunger and to so much else. I won't go there now. But simply making that choice and sharing that choice with your friends, sharing it with your community, even if they don't go 100% vegetarian, every meal that people choose to eat veg instead of non-veg is freeing up almost 10,000 liters of water. Another way, go organic. The amount of pesticides and fertilizers, chemicals that are used in agriculture, vegetarian agriculture, fruits, vegetables, grains, is polluting our soil, polluting our groundwater to such an extent that so many people are getting deathly ill both those who work in the fields with the chemicals, as well as those who are drinking the water, as well as those who are eating the products. If we demand organic from our food, from our cotton, 
the pesticides, the fertilizers that are used in cotton farming around the world are a massive source of toxins in our groundwater and therefore into our rivers. In the law of supply and demand, we know if we demand it, the supply will be there. In the West, it's there so much. In the West, you can get everything organic. It's coming slowly in India, but the more demand there is, the more supply there will be. Every time we choose organic, we are saving that soil, that groundwater, that river from being flooded with toxic chemicals. And lastly, our lifestyles. So many people talk about, you know, here we live on the banks of Ganga in Rishikesh. And everybody, of course, is talking about save Ganga, protect Ganga, clean Ganga. It's something we've been involved with for decades. Pooja Swamiji, who you heard from earlier today, was involved in cleaning Ganga even before I came to India 25 years ago. The irony comes in when you go to these conferences about Ganga. The number of people who walk into these conferences in leather shoes, with leather handbags, with leather belts, with leather car seats on their cars, when we know that the leather industry is one of the greatest contributors of toxins into Mother Ganga. And so the question is, are we prepared to actually change our lifestyle, not just scream and shout, not just post or share things on Facebook, not just sign online petitions, not just go to conferences, but actually make choices that we're not going to buy anything produced in a factory where the waste is dumping into our soil, dumping into our groundwater, dumping into our rivers, or spewing into our air. Those are choices that we have the power to make. We've got the power of our votes, and we've got the power of our notes. Using our notes, whether it's dollars, euros, British pounds, rupee notes, whatever currency our notes are, can we use that power to buy only those things that are produced sustainably, whether it's clothing, whether it's handbags, whether it's shoes, whether it's coffee, tea, chocolate, all of these things are massive contributors to toxins in the soil, in the groundwater, in our rivers. And lastly, we live simply. We live simply so that others may simply live because everything we buy is produced in a factory somewhere. And it's very likely that even if those factories are not lining the banks of Ganga or some other river, that their waste is entering soil and groundwater, is ultimately entering water bodies, or being spewed into the air only to be brought down with rain. So let us, let us live simply, live consciously. Let every minute of our lives be in alignment with what we believe, what we know to be true. And let us work for water. You know, everyone across the world gets up every day and goes to work to make money so that their children can have a better life, a better education. And that's beautiful and wonderful. But if we can work 
10%, 15% of the time to ensure that our children actually have water to drink, actually have air to breathe, then that's going to ensure that whatever else we leave them, the education, the cars, the houses, the money, that they actually can enjoy and benefit from that. Natho, it doesn't matter what great education you can give them, how much money you can leave them, what opportunities you can give them. Or the pani they're drinking is toxic and they're getting sick or their children are getting sick. So let us actually commit to working for it. At least 10 or 15% of our time, if our children get left a little bit less money, chalega. At least they'll have the great gift of clean air, clean water, and a future that is healthy and sustainable in which they can have children. And they can be sure that those children will have water to drink and air to breathe.